0: Etsy is widely known as the go-to place to find handmade goods. Today, I talked to product designer Marco Suarez about how they listen to their community of sellers to get insight on what to build and how they're using design systems to build it faster than ever before.
1: This is Design Driven, the podcast about using design thinking to build great products and lasting companies. Whether you're running a startup or trying something new inside of Fortune 1000, the tools, methods, and insights we talk about will help you create things people love. And now, your host, Jay Cornelius.
0: Hello, everybody. I'm excited to have Marco Suarez from Etsy. He is a product designer there. I excited to have him on the show today. Hey, Marco, how are you doing?
2: Hey, I'm doing great.
0: I'm glad to have you. So, um, as a way of getting started, um, Tell everybody your background and how you got to Etsy and what you're working on that's exciting.
2: Yeah, um, so uh, I'm a staff product designer at at Etsy uh, with emphasis on design systems. I've been with Etsy for uh, just over three years and actually arrived at Etsy um, by sending uh, an email to the, at the time, creative director, Randy Hunt, years ago. I was working at a startup uh, that was kind of an e-commerce, similar, like marketplace kind of style site. And um, I've been an Etsy seller as well since 2007 and always loved the product and the company. And so I thought I would just, you know, shot in the dark, send an email to the creative director, ask him some questions. And from there, we built up a relationship. And um, several years later, I got an email from another designer there that I was friends with about, um, working there. And here I am.
0: Oh, very nice. So you're not just, uh, someone who's designing the the product, but you're actually a user of the product.
2: Yes. Um, I, the, the Etsy mission is something that is very close to just my like personal mission in life. And, um, also, a, a, an artist and, um, sold my artwork on Etsy and it, it, I've been, using it since almost its inception uh, started in 2005 and I've been a, a seller and an active member since 2007.
0: Yeah. So you've got quite some time on the platform. you by this time you would guess, you'd know your way around and know what <laughs> works and what doesn't work. And, um, yeah. I, I guess that gives you kind of a unique insight into what it's like to be a, uh, an artist on Etsy.
2: Yeah, I hope so. There's the it serves a, a wide audience. So um, I, I I can probably speak for a very small percentage of users, but um, yeah, it's it, it definitely does help to be a, a user of your own product.
0: Yeah, exactly. So um, can you talk a little bit about how you approach designing new things or even updating old things at Etsy? Like what is the process around uh, deciding what you're going to work on?
2: Um, well, as far as like our, our roadmap is determined. Uh, by our business goals. And Etsy is a place that uh, designers and engineers and product managers all kind of have a say in what they would like to work on. And so uh, every team develops their own roadmap uh, around uh, whatever the team is working on. And a lot of times that involves um, maybe not a project where it's just taking a feature that is outdated and updating it, but it is like, well, we want to do this with this feature, but in order to do that, we need to give it a visual refresh and bring it in line with the rest of the Etsy experience. Um, and that that like is the consistency is definitely a part of um, what we want to create on Etsy and what we're working on, um, but is usually folded in with um, some bigger initiatives.
0: Yeah, sure, and so I guess that's where the design systems piece comes in—is creating consistency mm-hmm. across all the different ways that you might use the site and all the uh, all the different properties that you manage. Yep, that's right. So I heard a story recently about um, Etsy. You know, has traditionally been known as a platform for indie artists, and then, um, as many people probably know, went public some time ago. And so there's all the business goals that come into that. Uh, it's a different set of pressures that happen when you're public as opposed to when you're in startup mode. And, mm-hmm. and one of the things that happened as a result is that now other, like, corporations can put their products on Etsy. So that's kind of shifted what, what Etsy is known for. So how have you seen those those goals change? And then what are you doing to design um, a new uh, kind of a new state of Etsy or a new uh, chapter of Etsy for, for these new business goals?
2: Well, I, I don't know about the like the terms of service. I think you're referring to where, where um, you know there's certain requirements that you have to to meet in order to be a seller on Etsy, and that has evolved over the years. But a lot of that has taken uh, has evolved because we don't want to we don't want to punish people for for growing. And right. if a seller is you know starting out as a, a one person shop. And eventually they grow so large that they're hiring employees and they're not necessarily the one making the thing anymore but they're the one designing it and running the business we don't want to punish that person no of course that's what you want yeah exactly and so we we uh want the we want to grow along with them and so we i know we we structured things to 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 match that and to meet people uh with wherever they are in their business so we we have a, a wholesale uh part of our of our marketplace and a manufacturing one to connect sellers with, um, ethical manufacturers and stuff.
0: Oh, very nice. So it's more than just the e-commerce side that most consumers would see where they're shopping for artwork or, uh, jewelry or something. There's a, there's a lot more to the platform.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, we call it the, like the Etsy economy where, um, there's, there's a little piece of, um you know there's there's like if a seller is is making their own thing where are their supplies coming from Uh, we want to make sure that uh we want to help them or educate them on like how do you source materials and so we have etsy studio which is a marketplace for uh supplies and um then when they're working with manufacturers we want we want you know sellers to to consider things like labor practices and um you know, who, where, who's making this stuff and how, what are the conditions that they're being made in? And so this manufacturing uh, segment of our business is to help connect um, manufacturers who are conscious of those things with our sellers. And then the wholesale is like, as you grow, you want to be able to offer your products to resellers. That's a wholesale market. And then even with like um, Pattern, which is a, uh, allowing you to build your website, your personal website through Etsy, um, and then we also have um, this year we've rolled out a big update to all of our seller tools. Um, so trying to build Etsy into a, a powerful platform that um, remains useful to a seller, no matter where they are in their journey.
0: Yeah, that's super interesting. That's a lot more than I thought Etsy did really. I, I always viewed it as you know a marketplace for, uh, for indie sellers, but, but yeah. I guess, you know, having grown to the size that you are now, there's all of these other kind of user tasks and user journeys that are that you need to service that you have to think
2: about. Yep, that's exactly right.
0: So um, as you're thinking through all those different user types, um, you've got the individual kind of solo person, maybe making bracelets out of their garage to you know, a larger company that you know, could be producing all kinds of things. How do you balance those different needs as you're thinking about what you're going to do to improve the platform?
2: That's a great question. Um, One that we're, we're, you know, we we try to to uh, make our tools use or easy to use. If you um, if you aren't very like like for instance, if you're wanting to advertise on Facebook or Google or something like that, um, we have tools that allow you to do that. But um, it can get really complicated uh, really quick. And so we want to make sure that the tools are useful to someone who just wants to like turn it on and just let it go and like be helpful and useful to them. But then also if they want to dive in deeper, then they should be able to. So it's a balancing act of making sure we're taking care of like uh, power sellers of people that want to really dig into every detail and people who um, are just kind of learning. Um, And it's it's a it's a difficult balancing act.
0: Yeah. So it's kind of that concept of smart defaults, right? You want something that works for just kind of out of the box.
2: Exactly. Yeah.
0: So are you doing, um, are you doing like active usability studies or are you, how do you test things with users? Is there like a beta group or what's happening there?
2: It really depends, but we do all of those things. So we, um, we have a whole research team and they're, they're constantly doing, uh, research into global markets um, and I think every year we run the, we do these white papers on like our, um, you know, different parts like holistically, like how, how does our site usability test for the entire site? And then we do uh, user testing whenever we're developing pro- uh, features or, or, you know, our projects. And that is, um, we bring in people, uh, we have like weekly user testing where, where if you want to, um, add your work to the to the user testing then you can do that um, we also have beta groups um, etsy has teams this like concept of teams and the come and it's mostly for um like sellers to get together and like you know it's like every city has a, a team and stuff like that and so we also use that for rolling out um uh beta you know features so We'll, we'll find sellers to join this beta group through our, our teams on Etsy and then um, use that as the, like, you know, sounding board for all of our work. Um, so and, teams
0: are, are groups of, of sellers on Etsy that might be organized around some geography or maybe there are there teams based on the types of products that they're selling or uh, yeah, the size of the of the organization?
2: Yeah, it's. You can make a team about anything, and I mean, there's—I don't know how many teams there are—and thousands, I'm sure. And sellers so just kind of self-organize, and they will around geography or the kind of thing that they're creating. Um, it's just a, a place for them to build community.
0: Oh, interesting. So they're self-organized.
2: Oh yeah, the huh. the sellers on Etsy are absolutely incredible. Uh, it's a it's a very vibrant community. And a very loyal community, too. I mean, they a lot of sellers have been selling Etsy for a long time. And so this is kind of where they find community and camaraderie with other Etsy sellers.
0: Okay, so with these teams, when you and the other people on the design team are thinking about rolling something new out or updating an existing feature, um, how do you choose um, who to talk to about that? Uh,
2: so the... We work with our analysts and, and um, researchers to figure out like what is the um who who is this feature like targeting and like to tr- try to create like the right sample um and then we'll invite those those sellers to join our our team for this this beta project and um and then there's a, a whole list of like you know like uh, introduction of what that what the feature is what we're trying to do and then uh, a way for them to provide feedback, and it's kind of the way we can communicate with them as well. So we'll we'll post to the channel about like, hey, we're working on this. Love to get feedback on this specific thing, um, or uh, a way to gather um, insights as well. Like, what is your experience when you're trying to do X or Y? Um, it's just a really a really useful tool, and it wasn't really created in this way. It's kind of like. We internally co-opted this idea of teams in order to to like have a, a close tie with our community um but uh yeah it's just a, a way to to like have a tight communication in a close setting with our sellers in a, a way that is easy for them to to join and to get involved in the you know production of features and projects
0: yeah so it sounds
2: like you've um done a lot
0: of work to eliminate that friction of getting feedback from users and yeah. being able to listen to them in kind of a, in a friendly and intimate setting
2: yeah yeah it's, it's extremely helpful
0: um yeah it is it is huge so can you talk a little bit about the kind of things that you hear from users and how that influences your decisions on what or how to build things
2: yeah, so I think workflow is, especially for, so for sellers, like workflow is a, bit, a really big thing. Um, a lot of times uh, designers will do, will pay visits to sellers and check out their workspaces, hear about their process. Um, the big thing is is understanding where it's important for us to be involved in what they're doing and when it's important for us to, to uh, get out of the way. And right. a lot of times that is like, requires us like, um just spending time with them in their space um, for buyers that is a bit different um we this is where we do a lot of user testing um, and also looking at you know our mobile trends and desktop trends and and where people are doing their shopping or, or purchasing um, and and the um for the they're very different the the buyer side and the seller side so' Typically requires using different tools um, in our, you know, toolbox to to get the the right kind of data. Right? You mean different research tactics, or um... right? So uh, doing user testing um, on like particular devices and finding like particular um, shoppers on an Etsy to to help us like learn about something we're trying. Or sellers, you know, going to where they where they work and, and paying a visit with them, or using um, A/B testing like experimentation to to get also insights. The A/B testing is is super helpful on the, the buyer side. We just want to make sure that the um, we're we're using the right type of inputs to to form our decisions. So it's not just a matter of like what is trending on e-commerce sites or what we just internally feels the right thing to do, um, but using the inputs of our the people who are going to be using this every day uh, to right. determine what the you know best solutions are. Right. So one of the things that I
0: find interesting is that you go and visit the physical spaces where these people are making things, and you you're looking at more than just the the experience on Etsy. You're looking at their total kind of life cycle of when they make something all the way through to when they've delivered it to a customer to see where you can fit best.
2: Exactly. You know, sometimes, um, sellers like they, they want certain points of, of, uh, um, interaction on their phone and that's really helpful to them. Other times they want to be able to sit down at their computer to really like focus and think about their task. So when is it appropriate for something to be have like, um, you know, a, a desktop experience versus a mobile experience and, and where do we need parity and, you know, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I imagine that can lead to some super interesting insights into what features go into desktop or desktop versus which features go into mobile. Uh, exactly. And, and then what level of fidelity do you build those things in different platforms? Yep. Mm-hmm. And so you said that you are primarily on the design systems team. Can you talk a little bit about the design systems that you're using and, and how you've seen that impact your workflows or impact the, the quality of the product that you put out?
2: Yeah. So our uh, pattern library or component library um, was created a few years ago by a team on our seller services um, uh, side of the, of the company, and it was kind of a, just a everyone kind of knew this was, would be an important thing to have. Um, but there really was it was hard to get it to get buy-in for it as a project. And so they baked it into, okay, we're redoing this uh, part of the, the seller services tools. Let's cre- at the same time create a component library. So they did that and it was uh, very successful and uh, we turned it into a, a working group and kind of opened it up. And that's where I got involved. And um, for a period of about a year, we, as a group of volunteers, worked on our design systems. And it was kind of slow moving, um, really good work, but at the same time, because it was not anyone's primary focus. It just it just uh, took a long time to do anything. Sure. So then we decided to form a design systems team. And uh, I moved on to that team and built it into... Um uh, it started with me and, and grew into about a dozen people And um the reason why we got so much momentum was because we saw how much easier <laughs> it was to build once we had this component library. Um, and this is a great example of uh, one of our designers uh, Jess Harley wanted uh, we were work, like wanting to kind of give our buttons a facelift and a button is you know the most like basic component and like, you shouldn't be constantly redesigning your buttons. Like a button is a button. You should just like design it and leave it. But the because of the way our buttons were built, it was really hard to update them. And so they sat they sat for a long time and so they really needed a, a visual facelift. And I can't remember how long it took her, but she it was an insane amount of code that she had to touch in order to just give a visual facelift to our buttons. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. And that was like a great example of why it's important to use a design system, like a component library, um, which if we, uh, had that implemented across all of our, our entire site, it would be, you know, a five minute change, right. but it took, I don't know how long, like days, if not weeks in order to, to change our buttons. So, um, the, as we've gotten things on our, our we call it our web toolkit uh, our development has become a lot quicker engineers and designers are able to move a lot faster um, because it's I mean, there's no discussion of what like a button should look like because you just use the button component then um, also uh, this past year we uh, redid our UI color palette and our um, uh, the primary thing was like our buttons and text links, uh, color changes. And on the pages that were built in the toolkit, we were able to do that very quickly and easily. On the pages that weren't, it required months of work. Um, And we also ran this as a, um, we wanted to to measure the impact of this change. And so we ran it as a a A-B test. And in order just to do that, it took a long time to set up on the pages that weren't on our toolkit. And so the the thing that was really convincing to me, or the light bulb went off, was when I started to observe and experience this pain of not using a a pattern library or a component library or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, the once you realize, like just by following convention, you are able to move so much faster. And your, your work is a lot more thorough and um, you're building a better product because things like accessibility are just automatically baked into the uh, component library. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't have to necessarily, I mean, you think about those things, but you don't have to do the work over and over and over again. You do the work once and you benefit, benefit from it forever. And uh, as the, the, the website is, we're still converting the website over to this um and it's just becoming more consistent it's becoming easier to work on easier to update um performance is faster like it is just countless benefits um and it's it's a lot of work to update pages um but the what you're setting yourself up for is a faster iteration in the future the the, the big thing that i've learned is you have to show Short-term gains, uh, gains along with the long-term gains, and a lot of people have a hard time buying into to a design system because it seems like this is something you're going to sow for a very long time and reap at a, a much later date. And uh, but there are plenty of of quick wins that you can gain from a design system, um, and that's that's the uh, the, the one of the biggest learnings is like you ha- there's there's value in both the short term and the long term. It doesn't always have to be a long-term value.
0: Sure. Like in your case, you were saying just start with buttons. make buttons easier to update. and then that exactly. has you know a, a far-reaching implication for um, you know, how fast you can move as you're updating other things. yep. Mm-hmm. It, and that's pretty interesting that the the pages that were already on your toolkit, you could update those in a matter of days or maybe weeks whereas the old pages that didn't use that it took a matter of months and that's probably you know a lot of person hours multiplied times you know a lot of uh, of, of work and that's a significant efficiency difference
2: yeah i mean I, I would say that you could update things in a matter of minutes I mean, you could create site-wide changes well, that's even better In in like literally a matter of minutes
0: yeah, I mean, that's so much better than uh, taking weeks and weeks to, to rewrite code for a lot of different elements.
2: Yeah, and it, it allows designers to also focus on the user experience uh, in a holistic way and not have to spend so much time on the UI. Um, right. And whether it's with like content flow, like the user journey, um, more time for user testing, uh, it, it, it just it removes the repetitiveness of UI design.
0: Sure, and, and like you said a moment ago, it also you get accessibility built in, right?
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: You know, which is a thing that is very very easy to overlook, especially because it's not uh, it's not right in front of you. Like you see the color, and you see you know the mm-hmm. shape of of a button, or you see the size of text, but it's not immediately apparent that there's this whole other world that needs to be considered for people who don't see things the same way that
2: you do. Yeah, exactly. Um, It is, it's a, you don't realize how much of the population it would benefit. Um, And and that's something that is sometimes difficult to uh, get uh, designers, you know, designers like um, kind of pride themselves on being empathetic, but something like, accessibility is, is constantly overlooked. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a huge portion of the population that would benefit from simple things like color contrast or type size, or, um, you know, making sure that you're, uh, able to just tap through in a very logical way, a page. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Yeah. There's all kinds of things. It's kind of like the, uh, the round versus the lever doorknob, right? The, 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 the lever doorknob is obviously easier for people with arthritis or people who have limited mobility, but it's also easier for a fully able-bodied person who just might be carrying a bag of groceries.
2: That is absolutely right. Like it's, it's a very, if you, it benefits everyone. Um, and it's, it's not just a, you know, a focus on like a small group of the population, but it's, you're right. Like it, it will benefit everyone.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like through your implementation of the design systems and pattern libraries, you're not only getting efficiency gains in terms of how rapidly you can get changes out into the wild, but you're also kind of the the uh, order of magnitude on all of the accessibility enhancements that you can have just kind of by default.
2: Right. We have an uh, accessibility team that we work with that... Um, uh, writes our guidelines and it helps us in the development of our components to really like go through and make sure that we're crossing every T and dotting every I. But, um, yeah, that is the, we want, we want accessibility to be the work of everyone. Um, but we have a, a team that specializes in it to help educate everybody and and get them to, to, uh, think about that from the very beginning
0: yeah sure. So um as you've been rolling out the new pages and new components using this design system, um you mentioned performance, you mentioned a number of other benefits. Um, what have you heard from from the sellers and the buyers on the site in terms of usability or or how their just general um, experience of using the site has changed?
2: It's pretty nuanced. So when, when we've ran the experiments for like the color tests, we were just looking for a neutral change, which is exactly what we got. Um, a lot of a lot of times these changes just get you neutral results. It's more of the um, it's not so much the 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 toolkit that is the what the beneficial part is. It's the what you can now do because you're using the toolkit. Um, So it allows us to make uh, user experience improvements and um, user journey improvements in a very rapid pace. Um, So as far as the like actually changing, switching things over to the toolkit, most of the time it's not noticed. It's noticed by designers um, who can tell like, oh, this, you know, dropdown looks slightly different. But when it comes to improving the usability of like a dropdown, you can now do that at a at a site wide in a site wide um, ability very quickly because of using the toolkit. So it's it's a you know it's a it's because of what you can do with it, not necessarily like inherently the improvement. Which I'm sure there are improvements. I'm just not.
0: Well, I, th- I think that's them. an interesting point though. Is that you can make these changes and you can implement something that is you know very driven by design standards and not disrupt the existing usage of the application but Mm -hmm. then over time because you can now move faster and you can test more efficiently it sounds like you're able to get more things into the wild actually release more stuff that's helping to drive the business
2: right so i mean my my whole thing is like it allows you to build better products faster um you're able to build better products because you're starting at a at a really good baseline by using the your the toolkit, but then you're also able to iterate and improve it and improve the experience a lot lot faster. Um, we with, when using old code, yeah, it, it would take days if not weeks to get something ready for an experiment, um, whereas now with something on the toolkit, it's it's you know in a day, and you're also like. Your data is going to be a lot more. Uh, it's going to be a lot more true because you don't have all these like weird factors that could mess with your data, like conflicting CSS or uh, conflicting I don't know JavaScript or something like that. Right. So you don't.
0: You actually spend more time creating things and less time trying to figure out why it didn't work.
2: Yeah. Exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah. So um, kind of wrapping up what um, what kind of gains have you seen in the efficiency of the design team itself and communication across to development or engineering or support um, by standardizing a lot of these tools? Um, how does that help you communicate within the team?
2: Yeah, it's actually, so this is the part that I've been the most interested in this year, which is um, kind of everything that that leads up to the point of like, creating, or the point of coding, um, and, and seeing how design systems bleeds over into all of that. So communication is a big thing that um, I've been interested in this year, and like how we talk about design, how we critique each other's work, the language we use, what we value in design, and kind of realizing that like every designer comes with their, their own perspective, and their own values of design, and uh, their own preferences. And a lot of times we, I mean, most of the time, if not all the time, we use those preferences in our how we talk about design. Mm -hmm. And so as a team, I think it's important to have those perspectives, but also to have alignment and a shared understanding of what we as a design team value in design and how we talk about design and what we're all trying to achieve. Because that oftentimes is uh, subconscious or it's. Um, kind of under um, under the carpet that we don't really talk about and, and without some like prodding and some poking to, to figure out like, oh you're actually you're valuing something very different than what I'm valuing mm-hmm. so uh, and so this a good part of this year we, we worked on our design principles in order to give us a way to measure our work it's, it's given us like a yardstick that we can hold against our work and say like okay how good is this in a very as as objective as possible. Um, how how does this per, How is this, you know, performing or how how is this looking outside of, like, user testing and, and A-B testing and that kind of stuff? Like, how are we grading our work? Um, and then having developing a process and a visual language. And the visual language has been really, really interesting, which I'm in the middle of working on right now. And that is um, the... Uh, um, I kind of compare it to a... A spoken language where it has a vocabulary which is like the actual components themselves there's this, the syntax which is the 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 rules around how you use those those your vocabulary mm-hmm. and then there's the semantics which is what you mean mm-hmm. and the semantics part is like most um design systems have the the vocabulary or the components and a lot of times the design systems in there and uh we at the end of last year, started developing these guidelines around things like typography and iconography uh, and color. And then now we're getting into this, this semantics part, which is like um, the aesthetics part. Like, why do we, when do we use shadows and why do we use animations? Like, what are we doing with that? That is out more than just an arbitrary design decision. So for me, like, I'm caring less and less about the aesthetic of design and more about like what is the intention or what are you trying to do or communicate or what is the logic behind the way this looks and behaves. Uh, and and that is what's going to create a lot of um, consistency across the design team. If the design team understands how to design and how to design for this, for this brand or for this product, then your conversations are going to be a lot faster, your Critiques are going to be a lot faster. Um, there's not going to be this circular design debate that that goes on between designers because you'll know, like, which color is our primary color? When is it appropriate to use animation? How should that animation look and behave? Right, because all those rules have already been defined. Exactly. And then they can, it can be uh, critiqued and refined and, and iterated on and bettered outside of our minds like a lot of those design design decisions are are made in our minds and like we understand it and it makes sense to us but then when you try to pull that out and communicate it to other designers it you know you get all jumbled up so being able to document that and get it out and uh you're no longer de- critiquing a designer's like abilities or their taste but you're critiquing the visual language for this brand and product Right. So that kind of
0: gives you a framework to have that discussion where you are not looking at what that individual contributed, but you're looking at what that individual's contribution meant to the overall outcome for the person who's using the product.
2: Yeah, totally.
0: Yeah. And Mm -hmm. that's a huge, huge change in the way a lot of people think about design, because a lot of people, I think are still focused on it being very visual when you like we talk to clients all the time and they say stuff like, well, I don't really like the design of that. And Mm -hmm. what they're trying to say is I think the blue is too dark or I think there's not enough white space or I can't read the font or something along those lines. It's still very visual, but not very outcome based. Right.
2: Yeah. And you got to have like a reason behind like why you chose that point size and have like, this is our type scale. It's it's a our baseline is is 14 point, and like this is our you know H1 and H2 and H3, which it's shocking how rarely those things are defined still. Um, web designers or product designers uh, are creating these like really beautiful layouts, but then when you start digging, you realize like oh like this isn't going to work across you know an entire product.
0: Right. Or things like, um, the spacing around elements or between yeah. elements and all oh, that yeah. stuff really matters and, and consistency in that stuff really matters. And that's, that's what gives you that kind of imperceptible feeling of quality
2: yep. is mm-hmm. that
0: that little bit of visual consistency. Yep. That's right. Yep. Cool. Well, Hey, we've, uh, really, I enjoy having you on the show today. Um, if somebody wants to reach out and chat with you a bit more about stuff or just going to get in contact, what's the best way to do that?
2: Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is Marco Suarez, M-A-R-C-O-S-U-A-R-E-Z. Um, also, been, anything that I've been learning, I've been posting to Medium. Um, try to create discussion and just share the stuff I've learned. Um, but, yeah, that's about the quickest and easiest way to contact me.
0: Cool. Well, we'll link that stuff up on the show notes and um, look forward to having you back on the show at some point, maybe in a future, uh, future season, and uh, hear more about what you're working on.
2: That sounds great. Thanks so much.
0: Thanks a lot.
1: That's it for today. Thanks for listening to Design Driven. We're glad you enjoy the show. Have comments, questions, or an idea that you'd like us to cover? Point your browser to designdriven.biz and click Contact Us on the top of your screen. We'd love to hear from you. Tell your friends and colleagues about the Design Driven pod. Post on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or send them an email. And tell them to go to designdriven.biz or wherever they find their podcasts. Until next time, remember what Thomas Watson, founder of IBM, said, good design is good business.